So who is Jesus? There seems to be so many opinions out there. And whatever your answer is, the implications for life are significant. Whatever you decide. And some would say that that decision, that answer for you is significant, but also has eternal significance. So, so understanding who Jesus is, one way or the other way, is, is just super, super important. It doesn't matter if you're someone who's, uh, let's say, given up on church and you've got a promise of a good meal this afternoon, and so you're here. Um, maybe you're giving church a second chance, uh, you've kind of drifted off, or maybe it was years ago. Or, or maybe you'd say you're a person of faith. Whatever it is, your answer to who he is is significant. And again, there are lots of opinions out there. And having an opinion is one thing, but actually learning how to live out that opinion is another thing. So answering that question is something we all have to answer. And maybe it's answering and saying, you know, I don't think anything much of him. You have to answer it can't just kind of pretend that it's just floating out there, coming to some opinion, some understanding of that. Watch these folks as they share a little bit about what they and who they think Jesus is. Historical figure? I don't know. I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person like us. He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't. I don't think he's the son of God. I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed. Like I'm not gonna say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was. Muhammad and so is, you know, we're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, um, and he, to me, is the, like, symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that, like, constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened, like, religiously and morally. Was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I, I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as my closest friend. So how do you answer that question personally? How do you answer it? You would say, he is, what would you say? How would you answer that question? One of Jesus' closest friends, John, the Apostle John, recorded what Jesus was about, God-inspired, and as he's watching Jesus live his life out, he records these words, something that Jesus said. Jesus says who he is. And this is, this is what he says. He says, 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. That's a pretty outrageous statement. If, if Jesus really said that, that's pretty outrageous. That that's, has huge implications, as we said earlier. If he is the resurrection, when he uses that word, I am, he's referring himself back to Older Testament words. When, when Moses met God for the first time at the burning bush, some of us are familiar with that, he said, I am. So when Jesus uses those words, there's significance with them. Talks about the resurrection, talks about life, talks about believing in him will live even though they die. What is all of that about? Because if that statement is not accurate, if that statement is not true, then what we do in this location and what happens across our area and other churches' location and literally around the world is a waste of time if that is not true. Great teachings maybe Jesus had, but the resurrection makes all the difference. We don't, we don't celebrate Jesus because he had great little pithy sayings. They're nice. They bring meaning to life. It has to do with the resurrection. If he did not rise again, if he did not die and rise again physically, not spiritually alone, but physically, then those of us who are leaning into the good news of Jesus Christ are leaning into something that will ultimately not hold up. May give us some nice bearings in life in this chapter, but when it comes to time when this body wears out and my life is over, it will be meaningless. That's why Paul says this. It's interesting. Paul was a person that uh, at first didn't like the followers of the way. And he was trying to stamp it out. And then he met Jesus. Then he heard the call. And it changed everything. But he said, if this isn't true, there is a big problem. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 15. If there is no resurrection... If there's no living Christ, everything we've told you is smoke in mirrors. And some of you may actually be sitting here, and again, you've been invited, and you've done the church thing before, or not, or whatever, or something. And you, you might even have a little bit of thinking, yeah, this is kind of like just a smoke and mirror show. Uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not real. Uh, you know, you may be feeling that. And Paul says, if that's true, he identifies, if everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors, not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of bare-faced lies about God. And so then I would be guilty. Uh, those of you who point to Christ with your life and words, guilty. You see, the resurrection, the resurrection, the actual event is foundational. If it didn't happen, if it didn't happen, we are in trouble. And this is a big game. 
Paul goes on to say, if we get out of Christ, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're pretty sorry lot. It's, it's, a, it's a sad thing. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's just make-believe. Make-believe. Nice little saying, be nice to people, but in the big scheme of things, it doesn't not really matter. It doesn't matter. So the resurrection is so, so crucial. And, uh, you know, as I was trying to think about this and trying to think about what the, the weight of it is, you know, and if we're just playing games and playing make-believe and um, trying to have some kind of peace in our mind and our brain so that we don't go crazy with the way the world is, uh, we might actually be like uh, this guy who's, uh, in a sense, looking for a girlfriend. Watch this. A tech company, this is real, just launched a new service called Invisible Girlfriend. Yes, this is, I'm not making this up. For guys who are having trouble dating, that are lonely, the company customizes a fake girlfriend that will call, text, and email you for $24.99 a month. $24.99 a month, you'll get texts, emails, phone, yeah. The creator says the service is gonna feel very real. I think maybe a little too real. Check out their ad. Invisible Girlfriend offers lots of exciting add-ons, so your invisible relationship grows just like a real relationship. After six months, your invisible girlfriend demands you become Facebook official at an extra $5 a month. After one year, it moves in with you for an additional $30 a month, wedding at just $10,000. Two invisible kids and an invisible terrier mix for just $1,200 a month. After nine years, invisible alienation of affection at a rate of $17 a month, plus liver damage. Invisible girlfriend, fake love, real sad. There is a, uh, a, a boyfriend edition of that. I wish there was a kid edition of that, because I might have bought that. But anyway, but, but uh, you know, we kind of joke about that. But that is what's going on in our life if there's no resurrection. It's real sad. It's real sad. So you may be saying, so how do we know? And, and honestly, if, if we were to take time and just unpack everything, it would take us hours. And if you're really interested in that, there are plenty of resources, books and books and things online that you can unplug this. But I, I just want to, this isn't in your notes, I just want to give you a few thoughts on about how we know this is real. And uh, first of all, how do we know that? Uh, we know that uh, Jesus died on the cross. Uh, there's records outside of what we would call Scripture, the Bible, that talk about Jesus dying. There's, there's mentions of Pilate. There's, there's all this kind of information that says, yes, there was a Jesus. Yes, he died on a cross. So, so that we can say we know pretty sure. Uh, we can go on to the idea of a tomb, that the tomb was empty. We see this in Scripture. We see this in other places that they actually guarded the tomb because the powers to be that crucified Jesus, that killed Jesus, were a little worried that his disciples would go in there, take the body, and say he had risen from the dead. So they actually sent Roman guards at, at the cost of their life to guard that tomb. 
They, they, would not, they would have fought to the death, but the tomb was empty. Because, again, why would they do that? Uh, when you think of uh, uh, get it, gaining a moment or a movement or PR, you know, and you were just writing these things, you wouldn't write about, about Jesus dying. So, so that's another piece. Why would you, if you were trying to create a movement, trying to do some things, you would want the hero that's a hero. You, you would not have put that in there. You would have done something else with that. So this idea that the tomb is empty gives us more weight to the idea that he died and rose again. There's also this idea that Jesus appeared to people, at least 500 more after he died. He appeared to people. And that's just continued on, this idea that he appeared to people physically right after he had rose again on that Sunday. And you can, again, look a little bit more about that up. And probably the most compelling argument for me is this one. The disciples were willing to die for a lie or truth. I don't know about you, but if I was making something up, if I knew the reality to something, if I knew the, the rest of the story, and you were killing me in a horrible way, a torturous way, they would all have to just start sharpening the knives. Okay, I give it. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, on that. I, I, yeah, you're right, you're right. It was all made up. I, I might even be tempted to do that even if I did believe in it, just because I wouldn't want to go through that. But records tell us that uh, the disciples died for the, for the fake lie, which I don't think was a fake lie. And then if you look at history, you can see right after, and for years and years and years, people have died for the belief that there was a risen Lord. And I don't think people die for things they really don't believe in. I think that secret would have gotten out with those first few disciples. Some of us are, remember uh, Watergate and President Nixon, and, and uh, Chuck Colson was one of the main men in that, and he writes this about this whole idea. I know the resurrection is fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in death. They would have not endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? years. Absolutely. You see, the resurrection, everything rises and falls in that. You've got to get your mind around that, because if that isn't the case, if you water that fact down, if you make allowances for that, everything goes out the window. It can't be true. It can't be true. Here's another person talking about what he thinks when he what thinks of who Jesus. Who was is. Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, you know, because actually he went around saying 
he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes, yeah, I mean, uh, I have no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. Eugene Peterson translates idea for idea instead of word for word when he does John 11.25, and this is the way he writes it. Jesus saying, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now. Resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. See, you don't have to wait. Even in a moment like this, you can say, I am going to place my trust in the risen Lord. I'm going to place my trust that he gave his life. He died for my sins, my self-centeredness, my disobedience, my I'm going to do it my way. I'm not listening to you, God, way. All of that. And when we place our trust in that, when we embrace that gift, that offer, we find that it's not just for eternity, it's not just for the next chapter of life, it's for the here and now. Jesus wasn't just back then, he's just not in the future. I am right now. And you will live. You'll live in connection with God, and that connection with God, as you grow in your relationship with him, will, in a sense, carry you from this chapter of life into the next chapter of life. We're going to very briefly just take some highlights from a resurrection story. It's found in John chapter 11, that same passage where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, you can find that in the Bible around you. It will be also up on the screen on uh, page 748. And if you don't happen to have a Bible, please feel free to take that rack Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, we really like uh, the app version, which you can download on any electronic device so you can have your Bible with you at any time. So John chapter 11, uh, verse 1, we're going to just kind of walk through this story a little bit and see how not only, not only is this resurrection good for our eternity, good for setting things right with God in the here and now, letting him touch our lives. It's good for the everyday stuff of life. It's good for this afternoon. It's good for tomorrow. 
It's good for the next month. So we begin in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This was a good friend of Jesus. Jesus would stay in their homes. And Lazarus was sick, so Mary and Martha, they sent word to Jesus. And we see that in verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, the Lord, the Lord, the one you love is sick. And uh, he heard this, and he understood what this meant. He goes on, when he had heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not lead in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So Jesus is talking where he is at to his other disciples, his closest disciples, and he says, yes, I hear that Lazarus is sick. It will not end in death. It's for God's glory, God's importance. When we hear the word glory, it's lifting his name up. It's showing that he has value. Sometimes we use the word worship, showing that God has worth to us. Anytime you point to God, anytime you defer from yourself to his preferred will, you are giving him glory. You are giving him worship. You are showing that he is worth more to you than doing things your own way. It gets so simple. I can worship God on a Sunday singing, doing other things in my giving, but I also can worship God when I'm busy walking through my neighborhood and I stop and give a neighbor just five minutes. I think God is watching my life and he says, you know, that singing, well, it wasn't that good because you don't sing good, Dave, but, uh, but uh, that singing, that was good, that was worship, that was giving me glory, but actually, Dave, you were doing a better job worshiping when you took some time with your neighbor, showing my love. So we can worship, we can give God glory all the time. So, so Jesus is saying, this sickness, Lazarus' sickness, will not end in death. It's for God's glory, God's worship, so that's God's son, referring to himself, may be glorified, may be lifted up. It will, it, will, it will help set the record straight that Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. For those of us who know the rest of the story, what happens is Jesus delays for a couple days. He doesn't get going. And then all of a sudden he says, it's time to go. And the disciples are going, okay. And he goes, yeah, Lazarus sleeps. And that was code for Lazarus has died. And his disciples, not getting what was going on, said, well, if Lazarus sleeps, that's good because he must be getting better. And then finally Jesus has to say to him, no, guys, you're just not getting this. He is dead. And then they're like, and now you want to go? What's the point? And actually the place they would go to where Mary and Martha lived and Lazarus lived what was actually a place that would put Jesus just a little bit more on the radar of those who wanted to kill him. So as we're going to see in a couple minutes, some of the people were just very upset about this because then if we go back there, Lazarus is dead, there's nothing we can do, then we're going to get killed. So what's the point? And so what we're going to see in this story, we're going to look at three of the characters and we're going to see that, yes, Jesus is the life. He is the resurrection. When he touches our lives... When we open our lives up to him, he brings life into the deadness of our lives. And until that, there can be times where things are dying on the inside. 
We're dying on the inside. And we're going to put three areas up there. We could come up with four areas, but we're just going to look at three here. Dying on the inside. And the first area that we can be dying on the inside is doubt. We can just doubt what is going on. And that can kind of be in the back of our heart or in the front of our heart. And we just have a doubt, and it just, it's just causes death in our life, in our heart, and it's just, it weighs us down. We doubt God. We doubt that you know, he has anything going on, and we're just like heavy about it. And one of Jesus' uh, disciples, Thomas, what do we call him? Perfect, right? So he has this dying on his heart. He says, Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Kind of like an Eeyore kind of attitude. So Lazarus is dead. We're going back with Lazarus, and we're going to die too. We experience that same kind of thing from moment to moment, where something seems to be dying inside. There's bad news. And, and we wonder what God can really, really do. The heaviness is there. Uh, this is never going to turn out for good. This is just one more bad situation on top of another. God, you've let me down before. You're going to let me down again. And we just let that hang in our hearts. And if we were really honest with ourselves, we would see how that actually affects the way we interact with our outer world because it's dying on the inside. And yes, Jesus is life. He's the resurrection for eternity, but he's also the resurrection and life for now. He can touch our doubts. For someone who's not said yes to Christ, he can step into your life and touch your doubts. And for those of us who have said yes to him, he can still be touching our doubts. Sometimes we, 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 we let them grow or, let's say, ferment in our life, and they gain a potency. So that's where Thomas is at. He's dying on the inside. Then we also have those that uh, are dying on the inside because of discouragement. A little bit different nuance than, than doubt. And this is where, where Martha is. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Excuse me. But Mary stayed home. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for a number of days. Four days. So what does Mary do? Mary goes, Mary, Mary stays. She's just discouraged. She's just given up. Sometimes you and I, when we look at our life, have just given up. Probably not our whole life, but there's a component of our life that's just dying or dead, and we've given up. But the touch of the resurrected Lord, the Lord of the resurrection, the Lord of life, means to touch that place of discouragement and, and lift, us, lift us up, to, to raise us, to give us strength, to give us energy. Mary wasn't having it. Mary wasn't going to, 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 or, to, or wasn't, wasn't going to have it from, from Jesus. Then there's also this idea of the delay. 
On his arrival, Jesus, Jesus found Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, it's interesting that four days is very crucial here. In that time period, there was this idea that if someone died, their spirit would kind of hover around their body for a little while, make sure things weren't coming back online, kind of hang out there. But after three days, the spirit was absolutely gone. There was no chance. And this wasn't a, 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 a God biblical view. This was just kind of a culture. So it's very interesting that four days. So uh, Jesus is looking at Lazarus, and Lazarus definitely is super dead by this point. Martha says to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And if we're transparent with ourselves, there are moments in our lives. Maybe even the reason you have said not said yes to Jesus, maybe even the reason you pulled back from your relationship with God, because you have this scenario where God seemed to delay or God didn't seem to be there. And uh, you, you just aren't past that yet. You haven't walked through that yet. And that still hangs heavy in the air around your life. If you had been here, that wouldn't have happened. Or if you had been here, you would have saved the day. But you weren't. You've let me down. Um, and so that is just this dying feel within him. But remember, Jesus said, as I'm working this all together, I'm moving in a, in a different direction. Um, again, one of the sisters says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you want or ask. And so there's still a little help, but there's this delay. So down into verse 23, we see Jesus saying this. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So Martha gets this. Martha gets eternity, gets all that. She's thinking about right in this moment. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. That's why Eugene Peterson translated, I am life now at the last day. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She obviously says yes. And so Jesus continues on, brokenhearted when he really digests that Lazarus is dead. But he goes to the tomb. There's this whole scenario where the family's saying, Lazarus has been in there for a while. Uh, King James says he stinketh. Ugh, don't, you know, just he wants the door open, wants it open. And, Jesus, and they're like, you know what you're doing here? But Jesus gets there, and then Jesus says this. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with stripes of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Calls out to him. Something that was dead is now alive. 
As we think about our lives and think about how this whole idea of a resurrected Lord fits into our everyday life, there's this idea that I'd like you to think about. It's dead things don't stay dead or dying when Jesus calls your name. What does that look like, Jesus calling your name? All of a sudden, Jesus is going to start Jesus called my name. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But when Jesus leans into your heart and calls your name. Some of us have had those experiences where we have just been aware of God's presence and that he wants our heart. It's like he's knocking on the door. We're aware of it. And it's our option to open it. Again, we've talked about this often. He doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't force himself, so it's your option. But when he calls your name and you say, yes, Lord, I want you in my life. When he calls your name, dead things don't stay dead or dying. They don't. Think about some of those things in your life. What would happen if you were alive inside your heart, inside out? What about your doubt? What would happen? What about those delays? If you let him touch your life, you heard his call and you applied his call to you to the delay in your life. Some of us have experienced heavy, hard delays. Maybe it's that job. Uh, maybe it's the desire to have somebody to spend the rest of your life with. Maybe it's to have a child. I remember when Cindy and I were first married that uh, uh, we did want to wait a little while, but then a little while turned into five years, and then we started getting a little nervous, and then it turned into eight years. There was a delay. Those delays are hard. Uh, you, can, you can't really unpack those. They're not often emotionally satisfying, but whatever your delay is, when you hear his call and let him touch your life, let him become your life, things start to change. You see, you and I find ourselves alive on the inside. And there are verses that talk about experiencing Christ's resurrection power. And that doesn't mean you go into the hospital and you're really sick and all that, woo, I'm like a brand new person. It's the resurrection power that sometimes happens, but it's the resurrection power that he transforms your heart. Paul writes this, all I want to know do all I want is to know Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection to change my inside to know it by experience. And when we take those areas of delay and doubt and discouragement and let him touch him. That, that power changes the inside. That's why sometimes you meet some people that seem to have the most heavy, hard lives, but there's a spark in their heart. You'd be like, I give up. And they're like moving through life. It's almost like they don't skip a beat. They're just going. What's the difference? They're alive inside. That resurrection power is alive. And that's a power to overcome our past. Some of us have things in our life that are just so heavy, so difficult. It doesn't mean that our, the consequences just disappear, but we can move through our past. 
We read, uh, Paul writes, he says, he's forgiven all our sins, all our past. He's canceled every record of debt we had to pay. In other words, it no longer stays in the way of our relationship with God. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross so we can be alive on the inside. There's also the power to walk through your problems. Not to have your problems disappear, but to be able to walk through them hand in hand with a living God that wants to be there with you and have you experience the peace in the middle of those things. Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or danger? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We can navigate it through him who loves us. Why? Because we're not separated from him. He comes alongside us. It may mean that he has to carry us step by step. But he gives us the power to walk through problems. Uh, some of you are familiar with uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. And she was 17 years old when she had a swimming accident and was paralyzed from the neck down. And uh, she, she's, oh, I, I, I should know this off the top of my head. She's in her 70s now. And she has lived a life that's, that's impacted countless people. And uh, she wanted to give up. She wants to have her legs, if you will. But Jesus has walked with her through that, not making the problem just disappearing and going away, never separating from her, and has made her a conqueror, someone who is victorious the way she lives life, inside out. I really love this next one. He gives us the power to change our approach, our attitude, the way we navigate through life. Sometimes it's not my circumstances that need to change. It's my heart needs to change. My attitude needs to change. When someone becomes a Christian, a Christ follower, when they say yes to Jesus, that person becomes a new person inside. That's the power of the resurrection he or she is not the same anymore. A new life begins. Romans says this. Don't let the world squeeze you into your mold. That's one thing. But let God remake you. Whole, your whole attitude of mind is changed. And a lot of times in my life, that's what I need the most. I don't need new circumstances. I mean, some would be nice. I don't need this or that. But I need a whole attitude of mind being changed within me. You see, the great thing about the resurrection, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, is that if Jesus can beat death, he can beat anything in our life. Anything. Anything. Whatever it is, nothing is too big, too massive, too difficult for him. Because he has beaten life, or beaten death, and now he gives us life. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, 
For those of us who uh, are in church world or around faith, uh, sometimes uh, we become too familiar with the good news of Jesus Christ. We become too familiar with how he can continually change us from the inside out, that the difference that he's brought to life. And Father, this morning, we want to celebrate that. We want to embrace that, not just in words, just not in thoughts, but we want to celebrate that by being people that continue to change from the inside out, that find joy in the fact that your son beat death and he can beat anything that's in our life. Nothing is too large. Nothing is too strong for him. Help us to leave this morning in the power of the resurrection. And may it show up, not someday in the future, but today, tomorrow, we pray. And then, Father, I ask for those that uh, may be here that are still wrestling with what it means to follow you. Wrestling with, uh, you know, invisible girlfriend, invisible God, and what all that is about. I pray that something that has happened in this place friend in their life, somewhere on the horizon of their life would help them to see that you are real, there is a resurrected Lord that wants to touch their lives and start to change everything from the inside out. We celebrate that. We thank you for that. We're grateful for that. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious, wonderful name. Amen.